back for another week of our unique blend of Fantasy Baseball Enlightenment on Roto-Rob Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast, heard every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio. Well, we're into mid-July now, which means we're just three days away from the Futures game, featuring some of the game's top prospects this year, including J.P. Crawford, Joey Gallo, and Javier Baez, to name just a few. This week, we learned that Jonas Cespedes will be back to try to defend his home run derby crown. The Red Sox are trying to lock up John Lester, who will be a free agent after the season, and uh, after his effort tonight, it's going to cost a little bit more. We'll talk about that later. And the Marlins say Giancarlo Stanton and Casey McGahee are not on the trade block, which means they sure as hell should not buy a house over the next uh, little while. I'm Rotorob, and my guest this week is Fantasy Insider's head honcho, Joel Hennard, back for a third time on the show. Welcome back, Joel. How are you this evening? Rotorob, I am fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on the show again. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, what's that? How am I? Oh, well, I appreciate you asking. (laughs) I am doing better than the A's who are trying to sign a 10-year deal to stay in Oakland Coliseum at the same time as the Raiders are trying to have the stadium demolished. I think this could get messy. Now, I want to remind you, the chat room and phone lines are open right now. Uh, it's just me in the chat room. Uh, hopefully, we'll be joined by someone. And if you feel like talking to us, do so. Call us at 347-826-7358. And uh, that does not include you, Jimmy from New Jersey. Now, before we get to this week's news, I want to talk about what's going on over at rotorob.com. On the baseball side of things, we have news and analysis throughout the week. Yesterday, for instance, we looked at how Paul Goldschmidt was doing in his follow-up effort after last year's breakout. Every Monday, Michael writes diamond stocks, highlighting players on the rise and those falling. This week, Jeff Locke is rocking, while Josh Donaldson has gone into a tailspin. And, of course, every Sunday we have The Wire Troll, usually written by Tim McLeod, but this week penned by yours truly, and we looked at how Stephen Drew was thawing at last. And we will talk about how that thawing did not last long later on the show. And on Saturday we checked in with our latest episode of Squeeze Play, our gossip column examining athletes and celebs. This installment included a look at Carl Crawford's baby mama, whose post-pregnancy body is putting him to shame, even though she's six years older than him. And the final part of our top 65 prospects, working on just two more profiles to wrap up. I'm hoping to have that finally done this week, and I apologize for how long that has taken. It's really embarrassing. But, man, Joel and I were talking before the show about how little time we have. It's just it's a grind, but, you know, it's all fun, just trying to bring you the best content we possibly can. And finally on baseball, look for more of Michael's post-draft grades coming soon. Uh, he just wrapped up the AL Central, uh, so expect to see that published over the next couple of days. On the basketball side of the equation, on Saturday in our Squeeze Play column, we discussed the ex-Mrs. Humphreys and how her hips and booty are getting a bit big. The post-draft grades are coming soon from J.R. Anderson. In fact, uh, he told me that he just saved them. Uh, The Eastern Conference will kick things off, and then we'll look at the Western Conference later on. Football. The Roto-Rob Fantasy Football Weekly Podcast is back, of course, uh, as of last week, and can be heard every Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio. 
It is run by Rotorub NFL editor Josh Johnson and his team of NFL writers, including Nick Wagner and Vani Hariri. This week we had an auction league preview, so check it out. I will have that posted on the site uh, shortly after we finish this show. And uh, if you can't wait to hear it, go ahead and uh, search it out on Blog Talk Radio or on iTunes. And, of course, the big news for football is the 2014 roto NFL Draft Kit launched on Tuesday with our Top 15 Kickers Cheat Sheet. Uh, so look for a new article every week leading up to the NFL season as we run down various cheat sheets, look at busts, sleepers, a bunch of great stuff coming your way, as always, with uh, the roto NFL Draft Kit. Saturday in our squeeze play column, we looked at how Aaron Rodgers' girlfriend, Olivia Munn, can swallow a wiener whole. And we recalled an ill-fated tryst between Jeremy Shockey and Tara Reid. On the hockey side of things, now that the draft is in the rearview mirror, Dakota is working on NFL, excuse me, NHL team, grade, team draft grades, and he's nearly done with the Atlantic Division, so expect to see that soon. So we are going to be having tons of post-draft coverage in football, excuse me, in uh, hockey, basketball, and baseball, following up our great post-draft coverage this spring in football. On the video game side of things, it was another quiet week, but watch for more reviews coming soon. We are now just nine articles within 3,775 in the site's history, so we should hit that in the next week or so. Finally, do not forget to check out the video player in the bottom of each article page where you can check out the latest sports news, highlights, and analysis all for free. It's fun, so groove on that. All right, Joel, let's get to the news. Uh, the top story this week is that St. Louis is finally getting one of its walking wounded back. Uh, There's so much pitching depth coming into the year, but injuries have played a role. And Joe Kelly, tomorrow night, will return to the rotation after missing almost three months with a hamstring injury. What do you expect to see uh, out of out of Kelly in the second half there, Joel? Well, we, I expected him to have a job due to all the injuries, and that's about it. His whip is terrible, and over his three starts in the in the minors, his last one, his his whip was four point two four. And okay, I like Joel Kelly, I really do, and I hope that he's successful, and I hope that he turns it around. At this point, I think maybe head-to-head AL or NL only leagues is the only option for me. Huh. Well, that's uh, that's pretty damning praise there. Now, in late April, shortly after Kelly got hurt, we recommended Tyler Lyons on the wire troll as a replacement, and that worked out for one start, and then not so much. But still, the return of Kelly, this is great news for the Cards as they're getting healthy for the second half. Michael Walker is also making progress. And, um, of course, once Waka does come back, uh, that may spell the end of Kelly in the rotation anyhow, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, there's other guys that are out there that I'd rather have than Joe Kelly. For me, Kelly is not the most exciting pitcher on the planet, Rotorado. He's not a, a finesse pitcher, a little bit of a ground ball pitcher for me. And uh, I, I don't see that performing well in St. Louis. Now, he might get a couple wins here and there, but we can't chase wins. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's a fool's, it's fool's play to chase wins. It really is. I mean, yeah. your only opportunity to chase wins is when you're choosing between, like, number five starters of equal caliber, you pick the guy with the better team. But that's all things being equal, right? 
you know, when, when you've got a choice yes. like that. That's about it. But to actually chase wins is, is very silly. Uh, and, you know, it's usually ones... I mean, I'd rather have Carlos Martinez, Kevin Guzman, Rudy De La Rosa um, before starting Kelly. Yeah, well, I'd have to agree with you to a large extent there. Um, but the, the funny thing is Kelly is actually returning earlier than expected. Originally, he was going to make one more rehab start. Uh, but they expedited his timetable. I guess uh, he showed he was healthy, at least, in rehab. He's going to take Marco Gonzalez's place in the rotation, but as I said, I think he's just keeping a rotation spot warm for Waka. You know, Kelly actually got off yep. to a pretty nice start. In 15 and a third innings, he gave 15 hits, no homers allowed. Um, but I talked about the beginning of the year. This was the funny thing. Cards seemed to have too much pitching heading into the season to the point that some deserving starters like Kelly was probably going to be the long man. Carlos Martinez was again going to have to start in the bullpen. And Trevor Rosenthal, who many people still believe should be a starter, was going to be the closer. And they would not get a chance to start. So originally rotation looked like one, Adam Wainwright, two, Walker, three, Lance Lynn, four, Jaime Garcia, and five, Shelby Miller. Much has changed since then, of course. Garcia was hurt early, early on, so he got off to a late start, which allowed Kelly to begin the season in the rotation at all. But I guess the lesson here is, once again, Joel, you can never have enough pitching, can you? No, and I think that the Yankees are going to learn that right now. We have some breaking news that just came across the wire, Rudder Rob, that uh, Tanaka has a partially torn UCL. Only 10% of it is torn due to my source, but it's still a rehab of six weeks. Tommy John is possible. Well, anytime you're talking a tear at all, you know that Tommy John will happen. Um, you can't really rest and rehab. It, it, I've seen maybe one or two examples of pitchers pitching through a tear or, like, you know, resting through it, you know what I mean, and, and successfully not having Tommy John. But honestly, when you start to tear something <laughs> and you, when you put wear on it, what happens? I well, mean, the, the only guy that I can recall, the only guy that I can recall is, is Adam Wainwright pitched for five years with a partially torn UCL before he had his Tommy John surgery. Right. Um, That's the last guy I can think of. Now think about how good Wainwright's career, which already was an amazing career, but if he had had the Tommy John back then, you know what I mean? Yeah, just think. How, they say all the time that it adds 3,000 miles to your arm. I think he could have had an even better career, possibly. I mean, you know, I, back in the day, it was, almost like a death, it was almost like a death sentence. But now it's like, I mean, I know in my keeper league, I almost, I'm almost happy when a guy has it in the minors. Get it over with. Get it over with now and let the good times roll, you know? But there is peri- there are periodically instances where pitchers do not recover well. Now, that could be simply just their work habit, because it does take hard work to come back from that, and you've got to stick to the plan, you know, the, the rehab. But we have seen situations where pitchers have just never been the same, haven't come back. But generally speaking, the, uh, the success rate is phenomenal. But um, back to Kelly for a second. 2.69 ERA last year, pretty damn good, indicates he deserved a job, but luck was a big factor. I mean, there's no doubt he's not a 2.69 pitcher, right? I mean, you look at that 289 BAPID, 
better than his career average for him, but the big thing was the career best 82.4 strand rate. Like nobody does that again. I mean, that's luck. So his FIP was uh, 4.01, XFIP 4.19. Not bad, but not 2.69 good, right? So, I mean, I guess the thing with Kelly is he doesn't strike out that many batters. So we're talking about, I guess, uh, to me, he's not a bad dude to pick up in NL-only leagues at the very least to see how things play out. And I think he could be a very serviceable starter in the second half in 4 by 4 play, assuming he... Uh, maintains his rotation spot. I mean, I did like the improved control he showed early on this year. That's something to build on. It, it was early, three starts, right? Like, there's not a lot there to to really um, judge. What I like about him, one one of the things besides you know that he plays for a good team is that he doesn't let up a lot of home runs. If you look at 2012, he had 10 home runs in 107 innings pitched. Same amount in 2013, 10 home runs in 124 innings pitched. None this season like you mentioned earlier. That's a bonus for him. If you watch him well, pitch and you, look at his, and you look at his ERA and you look at his whip, doesn't it scare you, Rotorob? Well, I understand, but I mean, I pointed to the fact that he, he had improved his control and if that's a legitimate trend that sticks, low walks, low homers is a good combination. That'll That'll keep you in ball games. I mean, even if you're not missing bats, you'll you'll stick around and with a good team, you'll get wins. So at the very least, it's he will be serviceable as a result. You know, I would think. Now they got to uh, figure out who's going to who's going to who's going to catch. Did you say who's going to catch for the St. Louis Cardinals is what's next? Yeah. That's a bit of an issue. Uh, he pitches in Milwaukee tomorrow. What do you think? I mean, Milwaukee is eighth in the league in OPS, but they've struggled so badly lately on offense. I think Kelly could be worth a flyer if you're desperate, you know, maybe like a, as a streaming option tomorrow in Milwaukee. I'd throw him out there. Sure. Why not? Uh, yeah. Against Milwaukee, just, who, who lost to Philadelphia, who's terrible today. Well, I mean, Milwaukee we'll struggled like mad lately, but mostly on the offensive side of things. It's their offense that's failed desperately lately. It's really gone into the right. tank. And Ryan Braun's return did not help uh, boost it today. Well, we'll talk about that later, of course. But uh, Now, a team that is having the opposite problem is the Colorado Rockies, Joel. I mean, offense galore. They, they, need, they lead the National League in hitting... Uh, in fact, they are first in the majors in batting average, first in slugging, but we all know what the problem is here. It's all about pitching. Last in ERA, second last in quality starts, second last in whip, second last in batting average against. They've dropped seven in the last ten, and they're barely they are uh, they're barely clinging to fourth place in the NL West. Okay, I gotta I gotta ask you what happened to this team because on May seventh. The Rockies were 22 and 14, tied with the Giants for first in the NL West, and since then they're 17 and 39, leaving them at 39 and 53. Whoa! Talk about a tale of two quarters in the first half of the season. Joel, what the hell happened to the Rockies? Their pitching staff imploded. You just mentioned all the terrible staffs. I'll just say the names: Jorge De La Rosa is awful. 
Franklin Morales has a 5.26 ERA. Um, what do we got? Nolasco, he's on the 40-man roster. He's pitched five, or he's pitched 20, sorry, five games. He's five and five this season with a 5.92 ERA. Then you got Tyler Massick, who I thought would turn to, you know, be okay up here as a prospect at 23. And he has just been terrible, just awful in the six games that he's pitched for the Rockies. Uh, that's really fair. That's not really fair. He's had he's had two or th- he's had a middling start. He's had two very good starts, and he's had three bad starts. Yeah, you but know, those three bad starts were bad. Okay, but I mean, at the same time, he had never ever in his entire professional. I'm a big Tyler Matzik fan, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take issue here because I've owned my keeper league <laughs> since high school, so. You know, you hit a you hit a sore spot there. The fact is that he had never in his professional career gone a single start without walking a, a player. He's already done it twice in the major leagues. He's actually showing some control at times. I'm, I'm just saying there's a lot to like about what we've seen in his first taste of the majors. But I hear what you're saying. The overall numbers are not promising. Okay. That's all i got to say. Go ahead. Small sample size, though. I agree with you. I think the kid has talent. We own him in both of our in our dynasty leagues. I love his his potential. I think that this kid can knock it out of the park. Can we get him out of Colorado, please? Well, that's what you dream of all your rookie <laughs> starters, you know. I mean, you, you draft them thinking, well, I'm drafting him in the low minors. I mean, there's always the chance that he might not be, or you know, right. I could just suck up six years until he's a free agent. <laughs> I can suck up six years of bad stats for that one payoff. Now, despite winning just the last two games, the Rockies, as I mentioned, dropped to fourth place, a game and a half back of the Padres. Yikes, you know you're bad when you're behind the Padres. They're only a half game ahead of the Diamondbacks for last place, and they actually dropped till dead last before this modest winning streak. Uh, wow. I mean... Injuries? It, injuries, injuries, injuries. Yeah, oh, well, definitely. The injuries have played a big factor. You're absolutely right. Uh, let's talk about what's what's been good for this team. I mean, on offense. I mean, I'll start Just with Troy Tolliver here. here. Right? Okay. Now, he's finally well, yeah, I would start with Well, we expect that out of Tulowitzki. I don't think we were but expecting I mean, Morneau to do what Morneau did five years or four years ago. Well, in fairness, we can't. We can't. We we cannot come to expect health out of Tulowitzki though. And True. so far, knock on wood, he's been healthy and a monster, an MVP candidate. He's given us a sense of what he could do over a full season if he's healthy. You know, I mean, seventy runs, twenty homers in eighty-six games, along with a three-fifty batting average. Second multi-homer game of the year last night, tenth career. He's already up to one hundred and seventy-five dingers in nine hundred and fifty-six games. Have you seen his batting average at Coors? Nope. What is it? It's 433 in the first half. That is the highest for any Rocky since 2000. But let's talk about the fact that he's ready to be shipped out after all this losing. The big story this week or earlier in the week, you know, him basically going to Rocky management and saying, you know what, if you've got to trade me, I'm okay with it. What do you think of that? Well, they can ask the house. They, I think it's crazy that that they even think about it because he is a guy that you can still build around at age 29, and they have young players with Arnando at 23, 
Gonzalez is a, not an old 28, but a little bit injured. You know, no one saw Charlie Blackman coming, but he's at that prime age of 27. Corey Dickerson's only 25. It's still a young roster. Will and Rosario, we can't forget about the young catcher who's not having a great season, but I think he'll turn it around. He's only 25. Oh, no, there's definitely the Rockies have built a cadre of talent and pitching depth in the majors and minors. Unfortunately, most of it is hurt right now, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think the the real story, the underlying story here to me, Joel, is that Tillowitzki has essentially said, I, I do want out. I'm sick of this losing. I mean, he didn't come right out and say that, but, I mean, that is the, infer, the inferred, you know, stance that he's taking. And the trade rumors are flying, I mean, because... Obviously, but you really, the Rockies. But, but Rob, do you really do you really think they're going to trade him? I mean, well, if he wants out, you, I mean, you uh, do you really want your best player to be unhappy? It, and and is, would his value ever be higher than it is at this very moment in time when he's finally healthy and point. putting up this monster numbers at twenty nine? I mean, you got to figure his, he's already in power decline potentially, even at cores. As he goes into his 30s, those homers will turn into doubles. He may still, he's capable of five, six, seven more productive years. But what could you get from him at this very moment in time, especially the Yankees? Now, the Yankees can't trade for him right now because they they have to kind of do this thing like make, Jeter, make Derek Jeter disappear, right? But, I mean, how bad would the Yankees want him in the offseason, let's say? You know, if we flash Ooh, forward to... Yeah, we flash forward. If the Rockies still hold him, and, and Tulowitzki stays healthy and has even remotely the second half that he had first half and wins the MVP just based on the fact that regardless of how shitty the Rockies are, his numbers are so, bad, so much better than everyone else's. Let's, let's just paint a scenario here. The World Series ends, and the Yankees come calling because you know they are desperately... I mean, they're already, like, they're already sniffing around the Cubs... Now the Cubs added Addison Russell and have Starling Castro and Javier Baez. The Yankees are sniffing around there going, hey, you guys sure got a lot of shortstops. Uh, can we have one? You know, because they're looking for the the heir to Jeter. I mean, the, the rumors have been flying all year. Who's, who's that will be? Boy, Tulowitzki would be the prize of prizes to take that job, would he not? Yeah, I hate to see him in, in those type of pinstripes. I like him in in, in the purple and black. Um, don't know if I'd like him in the black and white so much. Now, as a oh, no, fantasy I, owner, I hate I love, it. Yeah, but, but as a fantasy owner of Tulowitzki in a dynasty format, I would love for him to go to Yankee Stadium. Fine, just switch spots. You're going to be in a hitter's park in Colorado, and you're going to go to a hitter's park in New York, and you're going to be healthy, and you're going to play for a winning team, which makes you happy. Well, yes, but as a right-handed hitter in Yankee Stadium, his power numbers are probably going to drop. Uh, I mean, it's a much more favorable park for left-handed power hitters, although Brian McCann hasn't quite figured that out yet. Uh, and then <laughs> Jacoby Ellsbury, mind you. Uh, having said that, um, yeah, just it would be the – I hate the Yankees, of course, but you know that they, they want to do something huge. And a guy of this pedigree would not be intimidated stepping into Jeter's shoes, whereas a lot of people would be. And who who could blame them? You know. Now I haven't looked this up, but what do they have to offer? 
They'd have to give them the whole house plus the kitchen sink and the garage. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees, uh, well, I guess, yeah, I mean, you've got, they got a, they got several catching prospects, but and Rosario is not going to be long as a catcher, so that might be something to start with. Uh, um, they have Tyler Austin, who is an excellent outfield prospect, but the Rockies are loaded with outfields. Uh, that's all they need is another outfield prospect. I, I would think that the the Yankees would want pitching, um, but as for who, so you look at their top five, you look at their top five prospects. It's Gary Sanchez, Slade Heathcote, Mason Williams, J.R. Murphy, and Eric Giangelo, which is a third baseman, a catcher, out two outfielders, and another catcher. We don't even get well, into pitching with the top prospects of the Yankees until number even, seven. Yeah, and I wouldn't even put Mason Williams in that mix anymore. I would, I would, I think. Tyler Austin is a better prospect at this point, but uh, we shall see. Um, I mean, the Yankees have a history of hyping their prospects. Like you said, it's going to be an interesting winter meeting, but uh, if the Yankees in, in any way, shape, or form can make that happen, I know they would They would desperately want to do that. Now, uh, the Rockies pounded five homers last night to, to clinch a series against the Padres at home. Now, Joel, did were you aware that this is the first time that the Rockies have won a home series in almost two months? I mean, they used to dominate at home. That's not a word. That was their bread and butter. They used to, they used to be they used, the Rockies used to be good for fifty home wins a year. You know, forty eight, fifty home wins a year. They used to dominate. And the fact that they're not winning at home speaks volumes to me about how bad things have gotten. But let's talk. A little bit more about some of the things that I like that I've seen. Drew Stubbs, three homers in his last five games, actually hitting better than we've ever seen from him in a part-time role, mind you. Obviously not being. And I am playing against him this week and getting killed. Well, when he gets hot, yeah, you see what can happen. Sure, three homers in five games. I bet you saw that coming from Drew Stubbs for sure. Drew Stubbs is going to be is going to cost you a playoff spot. <laughs> I'm sitting in fourth place. Right? I'm sitting in fifth place right now. I need to be in fourth, and I'm tied up with the guy who's in last place, who has eight home runs this week, and most of them from Drew Stubbs. Fuck, man! Sometimes <laughs> the baseball gods just do not shine on you. Now you mentioned Charlie no, Blackman earlier. Uh, yeah, love Charlie. Oh yeah, one of the surprise breakout stars with 50 RBI through 90 games, massively improved contact rates. With career best power, love that combination. Homered in the last two days, you want and the had four lead, four leadoff jacks this year. I mean, leadoff power, it's great. You also mentioned Willen Rosario, and yeah, he's continued to decline after his huge 2012. But he's on a career, he's on a pace for career high in doubles. Those homers are training in doubles, which is weird because he, he's not even at his power prime yet. But he's making better contact. On the that that's the good part. The bad part of the homers are way down. His BA's plummeted. Uh, but here's a question for you, Joel. This team is clearly regressing under Walt Weiss. Now I realize they're mitigating circumstances here, which we'll talk about. But is it his fault? Is it management's fault, or is it just circumstantial? What do, what do, you, what do you think here? I think it's circumstantial, uh, not management's fault at all. Walt Weiss is a solid manager. I had the opportunity to interview him. Last year when they played the Chicago White Sox, he's one of the class act guys. He 
runs his locker room very smooth. All the guys respect him. Um, it's just a, a matter of fact that the pitching isn't falling their way this season. That's true. But you know what? The Rockies have shown they can turn things around before. Remember 2007 when they went to the World Series after that huge second half? They, they put on that monster winning streak and went absolutely ballistic in the second half. A similar thing happened in 2009. Another big second half surged them to the playoffs. Now, am I saying that's going to happen? No. I, I, I think they're in too big a hole this year. I think it's just massive. And I think they, they need to blow it up. I, I think the bullpen's been decent. Boone Logan just came off the DL this week. He's been below replacement value this year, so he's hardly a savior. Although he's shown he can be a shutout lefty in the past. Latroy Hawkins, way better than I expected this year. 17 out of 18 saves. I thought Rex Brothers would have seized this job weeks ago. But you've got to figure this 41-year-old would be a good player for the team to deal at the deadline. Get something for him for sure. I agree. Yeah, if they, Tommy, play, if they continue to play like this, Rotor Rob, yeah, they, they got to deal yeah. some of the some of the uh, excess baggage. Well, you got to parlay the fact that Hawkins at forty one is having a great season into into oh, some yeah. assets, you know, because a team is going to need that and want that. Rookie Tommy uh, Conley has been a pleasant surprise in the pen. Adam Ottavino uh, hasn't been as sharp as last year, but he's ascended to a more important role in the pen this year. Rex Brothers has regressed massively after last year, but he's still very serviceable reliever in the grand scheme of things. Matt Belisle's been regressing for many years now, but again, is still a decent reliever. I mean, to me, the problems are all rotation-based here. You mentioned uh, JDLR scuffling this year, and he could be dealt, which would just make things even worse. Juan Nicasio was was fire starter and finally farmed out last month. Ugly. Uh, you also mentioned Franklin Morales earlier, the swingman. He's been used as a starter more than ever, and I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> he is a much better long man slash uh, you know spot starter than he is a uh, full time starter. That's for sure. Uh, Eighteen home runs, eighty seven innings. 15 homers in 87 innings. Oh, Jesus. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> now, Jordan Lyles had stepped up and really improved this year, but he's been out since early June. Another burn. Right. Uh, Jules Chassin, who was excellent last year, he was hurt to begin the year and then struggled to regain his 2013 form, and now he's hurt again, and he may not be back this year. That's a big loss. They added Brett Anderson, but he, of course, as Brett Anderson is wont to do, he made like three starts and wound up on the deal. He's about to return. That could be a bonus because you know that, I mean, he he's always been ace-like, you know, at times, if he could ever stay healthy. Yeah, we've seen Tyler the Chatwood. from Yeah, over and over, just he can't stay healthy. Tyler Chatwood was showing a little something-something early on, but he, of course he's out. It's been a really revolving door in the rotation. I mean, I can't believe how many people they've had start this year. They were so desperate for rotation help. They brought in Jared Jurgens, who actually didn't even realize was still playing pitching professionally. He had breathing issues in his debut, but he wasn't much better last night and is getting hit 
way too hard to keep trotting him out there, so they farmed him out. I mean, what, 20 hits in nine innings? Yeah, okay. They'll need another <laughs> roster spot uh, for Cargo, who's coming off the DL. But the rotation spot that Jurgens was using for about five seconds, after the break, that could go back to Eddie Butler. He could get another shot. Uh, so that'll be something to watch for. And you know what? This team has not played well defensively either, and that hasn't helped. Uh, as always, offense not a problem. Three times this year they've matched five homers in the game. Cargo, with his ongoing finger injuries, is going to come back this week and giving the team another boost, but it's not offense they need, is it? Uh, you know, same old, same old. Plenty of hitting, not enough pitching. Uh, it's like... It's like a broken record. But did you see the news earlier today, Joel, about... Um, the fan that uh, received a personal letter from uh, Rockies uh, CEO uh, Dick Montfort. No, uh, I missed that. Did you, okay, this is great. He went to a ball game. He he lives in Grand Junction, Colorado. Okay, so he took his family to to Denver to watch a ball game, two hundred mile drive, and uh, he filled out one of the fan satisfaction cards after the game and dropped it in the box. Okay, you know. Uh, and he says, I pretty much filled out the survey and kind of wrote a little bit about how it's frustrating to spend the money and go see the Rockies, teams that are constantly struggling all the time. It's fair comment. You know, I mean, it's a long drive there, and going to Major League Baseball games are not cheap, especially if you're bringing kids, you know, and it, uh, parking for the family by the time you have a beer and a hot dog and yaddy yaddy and some souvenirs. You're looking at an afternoon, several hundred bucks. And if the team sucks, you are well within your rights to complain about it. He he didn't, like, start screaming on the field or throw things on the field. He filled out a fan satisfaction card, which is, is available at the park because they want input, right? So two days later, he received an email in his inbox simply stating it was signed by the owner and chairman of CEO Rockies, Dick Monfort, and he said... If product and experience that bad, don't come. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this is some kind of scam, because this this was making the news, but it was reported on Channel 5 in Grand Junction. Uh, It's been picked up. I I don't know whether this is a joke someone was playing on him. I find it hard to believe that the owner of the Rockies is personally answering this email, and I find it even harder to believe that he would actually do that. So I think it'll come to light that this is some kind of scam, but right now it's it's being treated as legit news. And if it is, I mean, I have the same reaction you just did. Holy cow, Dick Monfort just basically told the guy that don't come if we suck. I mean, who does that? Wow. He just dug his own and grave. I mean, he just dug that well, team. It's gonna, if it's true... It's going to go viral, of and we're going to get to read that letter, and we're going to see that letter. Yeah, and, and he just spat in the face oh. of every single fan, every single fan. So that is that is, wanna, that is upsetting. Now um, I'll ask you again about circumstantial Walt Weiss's fault or management's fault. You want to amend your answer now? Okay, well, I mean, why I've probably never, with that. Well, no, I mean, right. I've never been a fan of the Rockies' management in recent years. I, I felt like they've, too many times they have changed 
direction, like on a sharp angle. They can't seem to stick to a plan properly. Uh, you know, some plans take a while to, to come to fruition, but the Rockies just keep... Remember two years ago in the offseason, they were signing everyone who was over 30? They signed all these 30-something-year-old people. It was a rebuilding team and gave multi-year deals. Like, what are you thinking? Why is a rebuilding team signing all these old-timers? And, of course, it, it completely blew up in their face, and they had a bunch of contracts they had to get rid of, but... If I were a Rocky fan, I would probably have much harsher words than that gentleman did. He, I think what he said was fair comment, but wow. So, Joel. With the, with the comeback, I would be even more upset. Okay, yes, this is what I think of your team. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, well, and guess, guess how many times I'd be going. All that money that I spent on your team? <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I think I'll drive to Colorado Springs next time and watch AAA baseball instead. I, I love mean, AAA baseball. Well, yeah, of course. It's fantastic. I mean, but I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying I'm going to go see a, a product almost as good where I'm not going to get dissed, and I'm just going to be way cheaper. And I'm going to be able to sit in some great seats really close to the goddamn action. Screw you, oh, Major League my Baseball. Life. Screw you, Dick Monford. My wife and I go to more minor league games than we go to major league games. I would probably do the same if I had the opportunity. I mean, the the Tigers used to be based in London, which isn't a far drive from where I am. Uh, and there, of course, used to be a, the Blue Jays used to have their A-ball team in St. Catharines. But uh, now, I don't think there's a single minor league team in Ontario at all. I mean, we used to have, of course, in Ottawa, which is a five-hour drive. It's a bit, a bit of a hike. Um, you know, used, used to have a triple-A team, but uh, that's gone now. So, or did it come no, back? we've been to, like, Can't Iowa. Remember. We've been to Iowa. We've been to Toledo. Those are the four- and five-hour drives. We would rather make the drive to the minor league ball club and spend the weekend in their little small town than spend, the, like you said, the three to $500 for a one-night event at, at yeah. a major league stadium. We can spend that at a four-night event at a minor league club. Right. Well, you're going to get, and let's think about this, the money that you save there, you can probably get a way better hotel. Yeah, we get a really nice hotel in Toledo. It's right or, across from the ballpark. Or go out, for, a, or go out for really, um, like the, the couple hundred bucks you save, you can go out for a kick-ass dinner or something, you know? Oh, yeah. You know like I the, like to hit the, hit the bars and the local, the local scene and try some different brews. So, yeah, that definitely happens. Well, I definitely know you like your barbecuing action because I've seen some of the photos you put up this summer. You are you are the man yeah. about the barbecue, and uh, one of I these am. days I'll be driving by and I'm going to knock on your door and say, "What's what's on the grill tonight, Joel?" <laughs> so I let's talk to, about some uh, box. I to my friend. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, finish, finish your story. Uh-huh. I I went to my friend's lake house this weekend, and of course, as soon as I got there, they're like, "What are you cooking?" What's going to go yeah, on this weekend? You, and so, you, are, you are the man on the grill. <laughs> yeah, everybody knew oh, there were 14 with, people. Yeah, I saw your picture with you about like 85 pieces of chicken there. So it's like, what are you cooking for, like a brigade yeah. or something? What are you, like, because of a family reunion with like, wow. Well, I mean, hey, you're the man on the barbecue. That's good. I mean, if, if you, hey. If your barbecue is anything like your your man radio cave, holy cow, you're you're all set. 
Uh, hey, I have baseball, baseball, man cave, and, and, and barbecue. Well, those are all those guys. Are I think. I forget about beer. You forgot beer. Yeah, I'll put that number four. Baseball, beer, barbecue, babes. Sure. Yeah. Man cave. All the good things in life. And box scores. Speaking of which. Love box. Cubs Reds. What went down there today, Joel? Well, that was a crazy game. And that was <laughs> – it was a very interesting game. So it went 12 innings. We had a little uh, – we had a little uh, bench clearing for about five minutes because Araldus Chapman slipped one of his uh, fastballs out of his hand and it kind of went up inside on Nature Holtz. And, you know, the Cubs kind of took a little of that personal – Afterwards, Chapman said it just kind of slipped out of his hand. He was trying to apologize to, to, to Nate at the plate. Anthony Rizzo took offense, wrote a rob, and uh, immediately after the inning was over, walked over to the Reds' dugout and had some nice words for Araldus Chapman. And that made uh, Mr. Simon come out of the dugout like a bat out of craziness. So both benches cleared, and, and we've, they gave both, uh, both teams a warning. We saw a whole bunch of things not go down. But let's get back to the game here because that was just a bunch of nonsense. And the youngster that we're going to talk about I think is going to be fantasy relevant. I just didn't think it was going to be this quickly. And that's the new – well, I, I guess they would call him a shortstop. That's what he's listed at, but he played second base, and that is Alcantaria. And I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Do you? Uh, no, just call him Double A, I guess. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. Double A, Alcantaria. Um, he's the new well, could, prospect for the Cubs. You, uh, I could probably look up a video on MLIB. That's what I usually do to get the pronunciation. I but, tried to listen to the Cubs broadcasters today, and three guys said it three different ways. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because you figure like, like oh, the minor league baseball, uh, like it'll be their local announcer. Um, affiliate, yeah. He would know them, obviously. Like that was his job. But anyhow, I know who you're talking about. So he went four Another for five. Um, yes. He went four for five. So they're going to keep him up. Oh. Um, I guess they're going to they're going to send down Kyle Hendricks back down to the minor leagues. They're going to hold him up. And him and uh, Darwin Barney are now going to split time at second base. So for me, for dynasty owners, he's a must-look at. For NL only, if he's going to split time, and the way that he's been hitting in the minors, I think that he must be a look at in NL only formats. Rob, what about your thoughts on him? Well, it's a very – I don't know what the Cubs are doing with all these shortstops. I really don't. I mean, technically, he's listed as a second, yes. Uh but he obviously can play shortstop. I mean, at some point, Addison Russell and or Javier Baez are both going to force their way up. Now, Baez may wind up at second or third. Who knows? Uh, I mean, I think he is an adequate shortstop and could stay at short. Uh, from what I understand, Addison Russell could also wind up at third or short. I don't know. It's just... Honestly... I, I heard Theo say, say something really, really, really interesting on uh, on Tuesday when they were talking about all their prospects. He says Alcantara could play second, third, or short. 
Castro could play short, left field, or right field. Baez could play second, third, or short, or right field. Bryant can play third or left field. And that's how we're going to look at it. Thank you. Next question. So they got all these and that's interchangeable how he was in the, parts. Yeah, that's so how he was in even, the press conference. So that's why they don't care about stockpiling shortstops, although they know that teams are going to be coming to them. But they're yeah. not necessarily pigeonholing any of these players into a particular nope. position. They're just, right. we're just going to put our best lineup on the field, whatever that happens to be. Uh, well, I mean, that's certainly given them some versatility, and it's an interesting approach, that's for sure. It's going to be a little maddening for keeper owners who are thinking, well, this guy's going to be a valuable player, but he's going to be way more valuable shortstop than he is a left field. I mean, if I'm a Starling Castro owner and I find out he's playing left field next year, I'm not too pleased. <laughs> You know, I mean, not I like Castro, but like, where is his where? How low a tier does he go in and left you know, as an outfielder versus where he is as a shortstop? My God! Oh, it's going to change. Uh, we're, we're, they're going to play. They're going to play games with us forever. Now, let's talk about the Reds lineup, Roto Rob. It was the most frustrating lineup to look at when I was doing this. Because I don't think anybody started that was normal. You got Chris Heisey leading off, which is kind of normal. Skip Schumacher going second. Frazier's been in the third spot pretty consistently. Then you got Pena playing first base, who's their backup catcher. Ryan Ludwig at the five spot. Santiago playing Pena second. Pena bat- batting leadoff. Huh? And batting leadoff, Pena. I mean, excuse me, cleanup. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and All right. Santiago, Santiago at second base because Phillips is hurt. Zach Cozart batting in his normal spot at shortstop. Tucker Barnhart was their catcher who they called up from Louisville this week. Homer Bailey batted uh, in the ninth spot and left in the sixth inning with a knee injury. Um, not expected to miss any time due from, my, from the inside source that I received. Jay Bruce pinch hit it. Devin Masarosco was a catcher, and he batted in the eighth hole, and then Billy Hamilton came in. So you have three starters that would normally start this game that weren't in the game at the beginning of this game. And well, it was, if you look at the starting game lineup, night game, right? Wasn't yeah, it? but it was just ugly. Yeah, day game after night game. But, God, it was ugly just to look at the lineup, the starting lineup. When I looked at it, I compared them to the Cubs lineup, and I'm like, oh, my Lord, I don't know. I have to look up some of these players' information, like uh, Brian Pena. I had no idea that he was even playing. Really? I'm nope, big, I thought I'm he was still losing. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's around. So, so what else can you tell me about the Cubs-Reds game? Oh, Any the Cubs, let's see here. Um, Chicago won 6-4 in the 12th. Definitely not a pitching game for either side, both going through multiple starters. And all I have to say is J.J. Hoover is terrible. Really? I always have high hopes for him. Me too. After watching Broxton and and Chapman pitch, who, okay, Broxton didn't look so well today. He gave up a couple hits and an earned run. But he has talent. You know it's there. You know, sometimes they just get it hit around. Then Chapman comes in, and he's lights out. Then two innings later, Hoover pitches, and he's just awful. Why don't you save those guys for that 
Chapman for those type of moments and then put Hoover in earlier. I mean, if you, it's just frustrating to watch the Reds. It really is, Rob. Right, Rob. Yeah, well, I know that um, I'm fans. I'm friends with many Reds fans on the uh, on Twitter and on Facebook and and Google Plus, in fact, uh, for whatever reason. And uh, just hearing them moan and moan, you know, it's just I've heard a lot of moaning this year, a lot of moaning. Uh, so Phillies, Phillies. Anything else to talk about, or can we talk about Phillies? Oh no, take over for your Phillies. Okay, so Phillies Milwaukee. Now talk about an interesting game here. The final <laughs> score was nine one, but I mean for Philadelphia. But I mean it was completely unindicative of the game. It was actually a real pitcher's battle for a while, scoreless through five and a half. Matt Garza had a no hitter going through six for the Brewers, but Jimmy Rollins was the big story here. He let off the seventh with a single to break up the no no. And then in the eighth, Rollins came through again. He busted the shutout with a two-out, two-run single that wound up igniting a seven-run inning. Uh, or was it an eight-run inning? I'm sorry. As Philadelphia wound up seven run. I mean, a complete, all with two outs. As Philly turned a one nothing deficit into an absolute laugher to earn a four-game sweep in Milwaukee, Philly's first four-game sweep of any kind since 2011, which speaks volumes about their ability to put together winning streaks in the last few years. It's the first time they've ever got a four-game sweep in Milwaukee, but I mean, I guess that's not a surprise. Milwaukee hasn't been an NL team for that long. Uh, But despite playing better lately. Philly is not gaining any ground. It really is time to blow it up. I've been a, I've been an advent of blowing up the Phillies for quite some time. They're headed home after a 10-game road trip, but big deal. They're 18-27 and 27 at home. That's, no, that's not exactly heading home to home cooking. Milwaukee, on the other hand, is in freefall mode all of a sudden. Suddenly, its lead over St. Louis is down to a game and a half, and we have some we have a real race brewing in the NL Central. The, as I mentioned earlier, off the top, uh, the offense really struggling for Milwaukee. On June 28th, that's just like, what, two and a half weeks ago, two weeks ago, they were 19 games over 500 and six and a half games ahead. Pretty comfortable lead, and it is almost all gone now. Ryan Braun has been out for a few games because of his back. He returned to the lineup. He was batting fifth today. That's the first time he's batted that low since 2008. Weird. For the Phillies, Ryan Howard came through. He was two for five, two runs, three RBI, got his 10th double of the year and his 15th homer. He now has 55 RBIs, and all three of those rubies today came with two outs. He has actually been healthy this season, so his counting cats are better, but he is no longer a feared slugger. Even after today's performance with a double and homer, his slugging percentage... 395. It's still under 400. Are you kidding me? Ryan Howard is slugging under 400 after a after a multi extra base hit day. That's ridiculous. He's actually reduced his K rate for the second straight season, but that's not helping his batting average. In fact, Howard may have been dropped in shallow leagues because he's really struggled lately. However, he's made some adjustments in his mechanics over the past couple of days, and it paid off today at the very least. Perhaps you might want to give him a second look if his owner dumped him. might be worthwhile. 
For Milwaukee, the only offense came from Carlos Gomez, who was one for four, but that hit was his 14th homer to give the Brewers their only run. He has dipped to 299 in the batting average department, but is slugging 509 and was batting leadoff today for the third straight day, and it sounds like he is going to stay there. It was his 46th RBI of the year. For Milwaukee, Garza, of course, took the loss, a tough luck loss, to drop to 6-6. Six and six. In seven and two-thirds, he gave just the three hits, two runs, walked two, struck out three. His ERA is down to 3.69, which is the lowest it's been since the middle of April. He has finally stayed healthy this year. He's actually fifth in the National League in innings pitched. He's gained a lot of fantasy traction lately and is pretty much a must-own hurler again. Will Smith suffered his fifth blown save and he took a serious beat down, which is kind of ironic because we're going to talk about him later. I sure gave him the kiss of death there, did I not, Joel? But we'll talk about that later. You sure? But the Phillies, <laughs> David Buchanan was solid today. He wound up evening his record at 5-5 five and five. in seven innings, only get four hits, one run, one walk, five strikeouts, get the homer. 61 strikes, 31 balls, lowered his ear to 4.40 through 10 starts. He probably deserves another look in a very deep NL-only league. That's my recommendation. What about over in the American League? Well, we had a uh, excuse me, a interleague game today. Uh, was the Battle of the Bay, Oakland, San Francisco? What happened there, Joel? Oh, Cashmere! He tamed the Giants. He looks fantastic, and the best first half of his career, and one of his best starts yet, Rudder Rob. He struck out nine in seven scoreless innings, helping the Oakland Athletics to the annual Bay Bedge Series and beating the San Francisco Giants 6-1. to one. What he said after the game, he felt good from pitch one. He felt comfortable. He was in his zone. Talked about Josh Donaldson earlier on that he was on a down, downward spiral. Today he kind of picked that up a little bit and hit a two-run homer. That's pretty good. A guy that I was really high on for the last few weeks has been Tim Hudson. He was unable today to make it out of the sixth inning and lost his fourth straight decision for the Giants. I'm not really worried about Tim Hudson. He's going to have his ups and downs, especially playing against Oakland, who's a good offensive team as well as a good pitching team right now. Let's see what happened offensively for the, for the Oakland Athletics. He had a home run by Donaldson, which gave him his 20th. A couple RBIs for him giving his 65th. And you had a, uh, a couple doubles from uh, Brandon Moss and Jed Lowry, which I kind of like to see when those guys start hitting a little bit. I talk about something on a lot of my show is in the middle of summer when, uh, when they play day games and it's kind of warm on both sides of the coast, I, I think the ball kind of travels a little bit more and we see a lot more offensive categories go up during these July and August hot days. And I think that the Oakland Athletics playing in the AL West, playing against Texas and and L.A., are going to see some uh, home run increasing numbers go up in the next few weeks, Roto-Rob. Any thoughts on that? Um, Well, I've been in um, San Francisco in the summer, and it's a lot milder than where I live, that's for sure. Uh, It gets cool at night, but... I mean, obviously there are days that are hotter than others, but I don't ever remember being in San Francisco at any time of year where it was actually hot. It's a little bit warmer this year, as they've been saying um, on the news. 
But would that I mean, be you drive ten miles north or ten miles south? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that yeah, exactly. totally makes sense. What you're, what you're saying totally makes sense. Uh, I mean, that obviously any sense of any any semblance of humidity is going to massively increase the the, the you know the distance on those home run balls for sure. And in, and then when they get to play Texas at Texas, I look forward to those matchups as well in mid-August. Oh yeah, well I mean there Ooh, the other factor is that that you're talking about humidity in a band box, but you're also talking about your strength being sapped. You know, true. Because it's so hot, Later. it's <laughs> so oppressive that it's actually being counterproductive because it's really hard to even move. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're not as you're not your strongest. I think the combination somewhere in the in the middle is is perfect. Like take last night for instance, perfect night for ball, and boy did I crush myself a dinger last night. Oh. Motor up? Did I lose him? I think we're talking about him crushing a ball right now. <clears throat> Talk about all-star Jonas Suspedes. He went over five today with four Ks. He didn't do a double play. Um, I saw something very unusual today. Home plate umpire Adrian Johnson left the game before the top of the fourth inning after being hit in the mask with a foul ball in the first inning. And crew chief Angel Hernandez moved from second base to behind the plate, and they finished with three umpires. So that's something very rare that we rarely see in Major League Baseball, and I'm losing my voice here tonight. <clears throat> I do apologize. Um, we get to open up with Tim Linscombe. He goes to his fourth straight win on Friday when the Giants open up a three-game series against the a uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Jeff Samarja will make his second start for the Oakland A's when he opens up a three-game series against Seattle's uh, Mariners against Felix Hernandez, who's 10-2 this year. That is just fantastic. We'll probably talk about him later on in the show. But let's talk about the San Francisco Giants and their hitting. Uh, Pablo Sandoval still at 264. He went one for four today. Hunter Pence, who I think is a fantastic player, just probably one of the most jittery batters I've ever seen in my career. And he's batting a, a good 304. He went two for four today. Uh, Buster Posey left three on base, batting 279 through the season, and um, went 0 for four today. I'm not very happy. One of the guys that I talked about at the start of the season for me was uh, Michael Morris. We did a Are You Crazy show and did some outlandish predictions. And I said at the start of the season that Michael Morris was going to have 20 home runs. So he's sitting at 13 or 14 right now, not really sure. But he's batting 275, and he's been definitely productive for where fantasy owners either drafted him or picked him up off the waiver wire. Since coming back from the disabled list, Brandon Belt has been very disappointing. He's still batting a, a career low of 234. He went 0 for 2 with two strikeouts today, not looking very productive at the plate. Again, I mentioned Tim Hudson earlier in the show, and he went 5.1 innings, nine hits, six earned runs, only four strikeouts, but that ERA is still sitting on the season as 2.87. Rob, have you joined me back yet? All right. Well, we're going to move forward here throughout the show. We're going to talk about a few other games. And the other game that we had on tap tonight was 
Chicago White Sox versus the Boston Red Sox, which was going to be a very interesting topic for Roto Rob and I because I'm a diehard White Sox fan, as everyone knows, and Rob is a diehard Red Sox fan. I guess I am not online. Can you hear me now? All right, we're talking about the Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox. We're waiting for Roto Rob to call in. We do apologize about the inconvenience here on the Roto Rob. Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's here on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on Blog Talk Radio. You can always check out the content at rotorob.com. They have fantastic writers all doing all the sports, NBA, NHL, NFL, and, of course, my favorite, MLB. And one of my great friends, Tim McClough, is one of the writers there at Rotorob, and it sounds like that he is back here on the line. Rotorob, what's going on, buddy? What? What happened? I mean, I was talking for a while, and then I kind of uh, threw it over to you, and I didn't hear a thing. You were gone. But it showed you as online. I wasn't on. No. Okay, but I just kept talking. I looked at it, and and it was showing us as both being online. According, I'm looking at the the um, interface. It showed us as both. You're looking at the board as well. No, but I know what you're yeah, talking showing, about. Yeah, showing us as both being online, and I thought it was you that someone lost, and I, and but clearly you were online. Oh, that was really confusing. All right, I'm going to just start over with the Red Sox game report then, because apparently Good. none of that was heard. <laughs> I, I, I that think was that's really weird because I was awesome. I was talking for the longest time, and then I realized that I, that, that I wasn't on the air anymore. Oh, my God. Fucking BTR. And you know what? I didn't use Skype this time because of the problems that's happening freezing my computer. So I'm on the phone this time, yet still the technical issues. So it's got to be BTR related this time. It is not Skype. I'm on, I'm on Skype, so we all know that it's not that. Well, I know Skype is causing me problems, personally, but my computer. Yeah, you know. So it's... <laughs> By process of elimination, it has to be BTR. At any rate, the Red Sox managed to edge the White Sox tonight, four to three in ten innings, and it was Mike Carp. Mike Carp, of all people, played the hero, hitting a walk-off pinch hit single. And I'll tell you, Boston is showing a little bit of spark with two straight walk-off wins against the White Sox. Maybe, possibly, the beginning of some magic that will spark a recovery in the second half. Who knows? I mean, it starts with those magical wins. Things have been awful before this for Boston, as they're only tied for fourth with the Rays as a result 
of just simply horrible homestands. Even with those two wins at the end, they finished their homestand 3-7. and seven. For whatever reason, Daniel Nava was the beneficiary scoring the winning run in both games in the dramatic wins. But here's another weird thing. In the four-game series against the Red Sox, Boston only scored in five separate innings, yet earned a split. Go figure. Can't figure that out. Now the Red Sox are headed to Houston for their final series before the break, so hopefully they can build on that, maybe gain a little momentum, perhaps take two or three in Houston, and head into the second half on the somewhat of a roll. The White Sox, on the other hand, had actually won three straight before losing to Boston the last two days. They more or less have been holding their own lately, yet they've fallen four and a half back of the second-place Royals. Stephen Drew, who we recommended in this week's Troll because it looked like he was starting to roll, is in an 0-for-15 slump. Mia culpa. <laughs> For the White Sox, Connor Gillespie. Are you kidding me? Pinch hit two-run homer in the ninth to, to force extra innings. His third homer in three games. The guy has four homers all year long. Three of them in the last three days. What? Or last three games. Seriously? What? Look at the numbers. 371 on base percentage. 480 slugging. 35 RBIs. He scored seven runs in the last five games. He's got 80 hits now. I'm sorry, but this guy deserves a second look in AL-only leagues for sure. For the Red Sox. Jackie Bradley Jr. was one for three with a run and an RBI, his 25th RBI of the year. He's hitting 385 in the last week and 353 so far in July, showing a little something, something. I'd give him a look in very deep ale only leagues. Pitching. Now, here we had some hard luck stories. A couple of guys were awesome with no decisions. John Lester, phenomenal today. Seven innings, he scattered seven hits, one run, 12 strikeouts, no walks. 105 pitches, 76 strikes, 29 balls. Trim that ERA to 2.65. In his last half dozen starts, all he's done is go 3-0 with a 1.01 ERA. 39 Ks against 6 walks. 33 hits allowed in 44 and two-third innings. He's now gone 45 straight innings without giving up a homer. Man, this guy's on fire. Koji Uhara suffered a second blown save in 20 tries as his ERA soared to 1.65. What a bum. For the White Sox, Jose Quintana was perfect through five innings, but unraveled a bit in the sixth and a 20 and two-third inning scoreless streak. Over his previous 30 and two-third innings, he'd only given up one earned run. He wound up having a no decision, seven innings, two hits, three runs, struck out seven, walked two, 111 pitches, 71 strikes, 40 balls. His ERA rose to 3.24. Uh, you remember we talked about Quintana when you? I think the very first time you were on the show, Joel, and we talked about the fact that we both thought he was a better pitcher than his results had, you know, were suggesting. But he sure has come oh, yeah. on in the last uh, in the last few weeks, and he's finally you know, pitching more like we kind of thought he was going to do. Um, final note on this game was that Eric Surkamp got the only batter he faced out and has only given up one hit over his last three games to lower his ERA to a more palatable 4.15. It 
in his first season with the White Sox, who converted him to a reliever after he kind of failed to gain any traction as a starter with San Francisco. Now, I understand that uh, Joel, my co-host this evening, has a little bit of information on John Lester. So I have a tease. I can't give it away, Rudder Rob, but I have a tease that John Lester has been in trade discussions with a team from the West Coast. Well, that's interesting, especially considering that the Red Sox are talking about extending him. Yep. Those rumors seem to contradict one another. Or or, or Uh, coincide themselves. Well, that's true. I mean, obviously he's much more palatable if he already signed a contract. Uh, But there's you'd think that the team trading with him would want to make sure he would want to stay. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know what his no trade. He's got to be a 10-5 and five guy, right? Oh, no, no, wait. Has he pitched 10 years? No, I guess he probably hasn't pitched 10 years yet. Uh, no, he's not so a 10-5. Like, no, no, he's probably only about seven or eight years. Um, interesting. Very interesting. Well, Fair. I would really, really hate to see the Red Sox uh, deal him because – he has been one of our better homegrown successes, especially for a lefty. We have produced very few great left-handed pitchers over the years, uh, homegrown talent, uh, that have succeeded in Fenway, of course, you know, obviously the feared uh, green monster. But, uh, you know, I mean, Bruce Hurst comes to mind going back in time quite a bit. Uh, and there have been a few over the years. But Lester has been arguably the best left-handed Red Sox starter uh, possibly ever. <laughs> certainly in, in my memory. In my memory as well. I could agree with that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it definitely stretches my memory, so I'd hate to see that, but I sure as hell hope, hope we get a King's Ransom for him if, uh, if we do trade him. Uh now, just a couple final notes before we head off into the sunset. Now, as I mentioned, uh, when I sent the show notes to Joel yesterday, I originally wanted to talk about Will Smith because today is his 25th birthday. But apparently, and he's been having an absolutely lights-out season in a setup role for Milwaukee. I don't know. The thing I was going to mention is whether anyone's really noticed if he's become one of the top setup men of the bigs. And then, of course... Talk about the kiss of death. I mean, today, he gets he records zero outs. He gives up three hits, five runs, two walks, and his ERA soars from 2.16 to 3.24. Joel, did I do this guy or what? What's yeah, that? we call that shitting the bed. Shitting the bed. Yeah, but I mean, how did, I, how did I do that to poor Will Smith? Uh, I was trying to give the guys some love. You gave him something bad to eat. You know what? It's his 25th birthday. To me, the fact that he's been converted into a full-time reliever, he's really settling in. I mean, the, the, he was being babied a bit, but he like dominating lefties, dominating them. And third in the National League in holds, I wanted to give him a little bit of fantasy love because he really isn't getting a lot. And... You know, just throwing him a bone because I was looking through, you know, like baseball calendar, this day in baseball. You know, because sometimes I like to to uh, comment on anniversaries of the big baseball events or something. And I was looking at the birthday, and it says, oh, Will Smith turning 25 today. 
let's take a look at his numbers. And I looked and I was like, I, I had noticed a few weeks ago that he was having a very good year, but I was looking going, man, he is really, really pitching well. Let's give him a little love. That's all I was thinking. You know, because, I mean, he's not the kind of guy you'd normally mention. And, boy, did I ever screw the pooch on that one. I I don't know, man. Sorry. Sorry, Will. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I mean, if the arbitrator, when you're going for arbitration this, this winter, if he uh, if he brings up this game, you can blame it on Rotorob, all right? Uh, so what do you think of the... Um, what do you think of the uh, follow-up season Max Scherzer's having there, Joel, to his Cy Young effort? So far, I love it. He's 11-3. He's got an ERA around 3.35. His fourth straight start that he's got a loss. But you know what? I don't chase wins like I mentioned earlier. I mean, he's, he's Max Scherzer. He's still going to be awesome. 146 Ks through 126 innings. Only 35 walks. I'm I'm never going to complain about Max Serger at all. I mean, he's going to be an all-star this year again. Yeah, you know, um, he wasn't yeah. having nearly as good a year, and, of course, that really came to light last month when he got absolutely tattooed by the Royals. He had that start with, like, 10 earned runs allowed or whatever. But, man, but you know what? Everyone ever bounced by the Royals? Oh, yeah, the Royals are known to tattoo everyone. Uh, last four starts, five earned runs, three wins. I mean, his K rate is actually up this year to 10.4. You know, when you look at his overall numbers, they're really not that much different than last year. Um, no. It's pretty pretty damn impressive. Now, talk about a pitching match, pitching matchup. Last night, Scherzer against Zach Greinke. Uh, and Greinke got out-dueled, but third straight outing with at least eight Ks. And he has his highest K-9 since 2011, and he's showing the best control of his career. Pretty pretty good matchup there. I mean, that's a, that's about as elite as it gets in terms of a pitching matchup, I would say. Yeah, that's what you asked for on a Wednesday night. Sure, why not? I mean, we're all baseball gurus and, and want to watch the best game. That was the best pitching matchup of the night last night. Yeah, and it didn't disappoint. I mean, Cranky couldn't quite match him, but it's not like he was horrible. Uh, he was just no. he was just bested by Scherzer. It was that's best baseball, and it's, I love that. You know, I love I love a good pitching matchup. I'm old school that way. Give me a two to one game over a twelve eleven game any any day of the week. I mean, I don't know if you remember the two thousand and three. What am I saying? Two thousand fucking three. Nineteen ninety three World Series. Uh, I remember it well because I went to a couple of the games here in Toronto. Uh, they were playing the Phillies. And one of the games in Philadelphia was like 15-14. Do you remember this? No, I was a like uh, the high- sophomore in high school. I mean, it was incredibly high scoring. And a lot of people were saying it was back and forth, back and forth. A lot of people were calling it the best World Series game they'd ever seen. And to me, it was an abomination. It was the most disgusting, air-filled, and just, you know, he couldn't hold a lead. Like, it was just, it was ridiculous. There was no drama in the game. To me, anytime someone got on a base, you knew they were going to score. I like it when oh, it's, kind of, it's a big deal just kind of to like get on LA base. What's that? It's kind of like L.A. and Texas tonight. 
uh, what's the score? Right there? now it's thirteen. Well, I don't even know now because Adrian Beltre just hit another home run. Um, it was Sweet. now it's thirteen to four in the sixth. Wow. Yeah, kind of like that. Uh, oh, it's no, been all. Elvis give Andrews me a game has been where, terrible tonight. Yeah, give me a game where where people see. I like small ball. This is why I, like, this is why I prefer National League. I, I love the double switch. I love I love the idea of the pitchers coming up and that, you know, you have to bunt for him. You got to take that into consideration. You got to put hit runs on. You got you got to manufacture offense. I mean, whereas American League is all about ways sitting back waiting for the three on homer. I mean, that's an overgeneralization to an extent, but give me baseball like that where you have to kick and scratch out a run, and I just love it. I think it's, I think it's far more exciting. There's just more drama involved. And I love it. Uh, final note tonight, Joel. Miggy Cabrera got his first day off of the season last night. Now, we all know he's having a down year, okay? But let's put it in perspective. He has 70 RBI through 86 games and 330 at-bats. Now, just think about that for a second and try to rationalize the idea this is a down year for Miguel Cabrera. You know what I'm saying? So the power's down. So what? I mean, the average is still 312, and he's got 70 RBI, but it's... 70? No, but I mean, people are talking about him as if he sucks this year. I mean, obviously not, but you know... They're That's they're pointing stupid. out that he's That's having a down season. I, I want to see that person in the street. I want to I want to meet that person in the street in the dugout. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, people are moaning about his power, or whatever. But like, I'm I looking at the numbers and noticing, you know, he's out of lineup last night, and just taking a quick peek at his numbers and thinking. Oh, that's a real down year. Seventy RBIs. I didn't realize he already had seventy ribbies. And I was just like, that's give so me I'm, that as a down year for my guys. I crave that so as I a down him, year. I had him projected at 126 for the season. If he doubles that in the second half, he shoots my projection by 14 RBI. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's through 86 so games. So you're not, so not going to quite double it, but basically he's going to be on online for about 134, 135 ribbies. He's going to top 130 in a down year. Like, I wish all my players were having a down year the way Miggy Cabrera is. That's what I wish. That's just you. Um, any other any other notes to talk about uh, tonight? There. No, I'm uh, crystal clear. I, I actually had nothing more than what you sent me tonight. Okay, uh, but what do you got to plug? Tell us what's going on in Joel Hennard's world before we go off the air. Ooh, awesome. So tomorrow night I'll be attending an Indianapolis Indians game at Victory Field. It is Star Wars night. You can follow me on Twitter at Joel Hennard. I'll have tons of pictures, even one with Chewbacca, because I'm going <laughs> to be that guy. And uh, Saturday afternoon, I will be interviewing Bill Buckner. That will be found on the Armed Forces Radio Network on Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, also on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. I might have a couple of choice words uh, for Bill Buckner as a Red Sox fan. No, we, we've forgiven him. <laughs> Tell him I forgive him. You know what? Three World Series in a decade later, I forgive him. I'd absolutely forgive him, yeah. I forgave him after the first World Series. After the first World Series. You know know what really pissed me off? 
about Bill Buckner. No, just the idea that he was so vilified. This is a guy that had almost 3,000 hits, had an absolutely ex-superb career, and was actually a very, very strong first baseman in his time before, of course, he had to ice his ankles for hours before and after each game. But, you know, the fact that he was remembered only for that one play really pissed me off, you know? Yep, it's the one thing that I'm not going to ask him about. I'm going to ask him about the rest of his career, oh. how he learned how to do things, uh, how to, where he learned how to play first base, kind of some childhood things. I, I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. Uh, maybe who his influences were, you know, things like that. Exactly. I, I would, I would love to hear about that. I, I mean, didn't he win a batting title when he was with the Cubs? Did he, he win did. A batting title one year. I thought so, yeah. I mean, because he had some pretty good... Just... Ask him about his mustache, too. That was a hell of a mustache. It was a hell of a mustache. In yeah, that you know era, what? it was perfect. He had the perfect porn stash. That was a porn stash. stash. It was, it was oh, yeah. a porn stash, totally. Yeah, he could he could have done some movies. Yeah, for sure. I've done some other of the classic players like Eric Davis and Bruce Sitter, and those are the things that I kind of ask him, you know, like how he learned how to throw the, the split-finger fastball or what were uh, Eric Davis's biggest influence uh, as a child. And, you know, he talked about living in South Central and him and Daryl Strawberry playing on the same field as a kid. You know, those are the things that we want to learn. We know about their stats and all the yeah, accomplishments. Yeah, of course. We tell, tell me more about the man about behind the player. Yeah, one of the things I always like to ask people when I get the opportunity is, first of all, whether they're interested in fantasy sports at all, whether they play, like, after the fact. You know, that's always interesting to see. See, we had Curtis Joseph on a little while ago, and he's a big fantasy baseball guy. He doesn't play fantasy hockey, which is cool because, you know, he's a little too close to the game. And, you know, would you really want to play fantasy hockey against a guy who that connected? You know what I mean? But fantasy baseball, right. you know more advantage than you or I. Uh, maybe less of an advantage, in fact. He was asking us for advice. Um yeah, I thought it was really interesting to see and, you know, find out a little bit about um, who he looks at now, like who reminds him the most of himself, who's playing now, that kind of thing, is always an interesting interesting uh, question to ask, you know. Um, see who they're, you know, kind of looking at as up-and-coming stars. Uh, and I, we asked him, of course, uh, about, you know, being a former Leaf, and of course, the Leafs uh, being mired in uh, you know years and years of futility and frustration. What he would do, what first, what the first three moves he would do if he were the GM of the Leafs, let's say, you know, how would he turn them around? And it was interesting to hear what he had to say about that. Um, what else you have to plug though, Joel? Uh, tell us what's going on over at Fantasy Insiders, you know, yaddy yaddy. Oh yeah, we got FantasyInsiders.com. We've got some great articles up from um, Ben Sisa. He wrote about um, Jason Kipnis last week. He broke him down in the sabermetric style, if he was going to improve or if he was going to decline. <clears throat> and then we have a great series right now going on from our good friend Matt Luton. He's at Ludy on Twitter, and he's writing an article for us on the FantasyInsiders.com letter up about playing fantasy baseball for the first time. He called it losing his virginity the fantasy aspect of a first-time player. So right now we're at Series 16 right now, as he's been writing from the start of when he was asked to join this league until up to date and how his team is doing. 
So he's had some ups and downs. Um, he's also very into music, so he had some music concerts that he went to that he wrote about as well, along with putting some fantasy inside as well, into some of the music as well. And it's a very interesting article to find out how a first-time player is uh, playing for the first time and, you know, just kind of repetitive there. That sounds funny. No, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's it's through the eyes of babes, you know. Uh, and that is enlightening, you know, without all the baggage that uh, we bring to the table, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, certain biases about players and what have you. Sounds like an interesting Oh, yeah, he had no idea who some players were. He has no idea who some players are. It's funny. When I get text messages and he's like, hey, what about this guy? I gave him material to read, websites to go look at, um, different people to follow on Twitter. So he's a first-time player and, and, and not in last place. Good for him. Good for him. That sounds like a cool series. All right, well, you know what? We're almost an hour and a half into the show that I was kind of hoping was going to be 45 minutes because <laughs> i got some work to do tonight. But that's okay. Uh, time to get back to some editing and get our football podcast posted before the end of the night. So, uh, Joel, thank you so much again for joining us. Sorry about the technical issues earlier, but a pleasure as always to have you on. Rob, thanks very much. Have a great evening. Thanks, guys, again, and have a wonderful night. All right, we're going to close the show with some Sean Mulrain, and we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.